our lesson for today is from uh, John 14, 15 through 21 on your bulletin. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Amen. So uh, pick up your bulletin for me real quickly. Great. If you don't have one, you have to leave. No. Uh, this is just a plug for your bulletin, basically. We call it the weekly news. A bulletin is an old word for it, but I can't shake it. I simply can't shake the word bulletin. We call it the weekly news. Yes. Hey, that's good. Um, but on the bottom of your bulletin, if you have it, look at it, and you'll see our church's logo and name. And under that name, there's, two, there's a phrase, two, actually two little phrases. And it says, pursuing the way of Jesus and proclaiming he is Lord. Now, this is what is commonly referred to in uh, business or church circles as a mission statement. Have you ever, ever heard of a mission statement before? A lot of organizations have them. Uh, and this is ours. And so over the next two weeks, what I wanted to do was talk about those two phrases. Um, and then on uh, the 19th, we'll have uh, what, we're gonna, what we're calling a Vision Sunday, but it will be a, a, a Sunday where we just come together uh, and talk a little bit about uh, where the Spirit is leading our church uh, as we move into the future. And then we'll have a business meeting, which is all about the past, so that's fitting. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, and then uh, on the final Sunday of February, uh, we'll have a service, uh, a mission service, where we'll turn our eyes uh, to the globe and look to see what God uh, has us to partner with this year around the world. So February, I, really, I said this last week, but I really do believe it's going to be a pretty, it's a pivotal month for us. Um, and these messages in particular are really close to my heart, not only because um, they're central to, I think, what our church is and will become in the future, but also because they're things that are really central to my life. Uh, this message this week was easy for me to write. It kind of flowed out of me in a way that they don't always do. And so uh, I'm excited uh, to look at this passage with you this week and to journey with you guys through this month and uh, into the coming year. All right? All right. So... Uh, this phrase, that the, the first phrase that we're going to dig into today is this idea of pursuing the way of Jesus. So what the phrase, pursuing the, pursuing the way of Jesus, means for us here in Cedar Falls. What it, means, uh, to, what it means to pursue God's way. What it means to follow in his way. And so that's the idea that we're going to kind of break down and talk about today. So have any of you ever... Uh, thought about what it means to be a Christian? You can raise a hand if you've thought about that from time to time. What does it actually mean, right? You, we call, many of us call ourselves Christians. There are many people in the world who refer to themselves as Christians, but what does that title, what does that phrase actually mean? Uh, it's funny because on the surface, we, it makes sense, right? It seems like a simple question, but when we dig down a little deeper, and we think about it a little while, it starts to become not quite as simple as maybe we thought. You know, the early followers of Jesus weren't even called Christians. People uh, in the New Testament, pretty much the entirety of the New Testament we read, they're really never referred to as Christians. Uh, in Acts 24, uh, Paul is standing in front of a Roman governor named Felix, and he's trying to explain who he is uh, and what he's about. And he says to Felix that, uh, I am a follower of the way. I'm a follower of the way. And this is how early Christians were known. This is how uh, they referred to themselves and what they referred to uh, their movement as, as we are followers of the way, which is, seems not as clear as calling yourself a Christian, right? But it's, it was the way that early Christians referred to themselves, and it was the way that they talked about um, 
their movement. It was the way that they talked about their churches. Christians were not first called Christians until uh, the church sprung up in Antioch, and that happened uh, a ways after uh, the New Testament church, really. Um, so it's, it's interesting that these first Christians were called people of the way. Now, the word Christian is, makes sense, right? It's a follower of Christ in the same way that a Buddhist is a follower of the teachings of Buddha or a Muslim is a follower of the teachings of Muhammad. But these early Christians, these people who were called people of the way, patterned their lives after the person they claimed to have followed, which was and is Jesus. Now, in our day, people throw this term Christian around a lot, don't they? We have Christian TV shows, we have Christian movies, we have Christian stores, entire stores that are supposedly Christian. We have um, Christian knickknacks, right? We have Christian, um, some people have referred to it as Jesus junk, the, all the stuff that if you just put like a Bible verse on it, you can, you can mark it up by 20% and sell it. Uh, we, we have all kinds of Christian things. In the United States, uh, roughly between 70 or 75%, depending on who you're asking, of the American population say, when they're asked in a census or in a poll, that they're Christian, right? But when we say uh, that we're a Christian, and when somebody says they're a Christian, what does that mean? Those 70 or 75% of American people, when they check that box that says Christian or when they respond to the pollster that they're a Christian, what do they have in their head? What are they thinking about when they say that? It's an interesting question. So some of us might think that we're a Christian because we celebrate Christmas, right? Maybe in our culture, I'm, I'm not Jewish, so I don't celebrate Hanukkah, so to, I, Christmas and Easter, those are mine, so yes, I'm a Christian, right? That's possible. Many of us assume uh, that uh, many people in our culture assume that they, they believe in something, right? They believe in something, and the something that they hear about, they often hear about within the context of a Christian church, and so that then makes me a Christian, right? It makes sense. But when we take a deeper look at what it truly means to be a Christian, when we look at the New Testament, when we look specifically at the teaching of Jesus and the Gospels in the New Testament— we, we see that a, that a follower of Christ isn't simply about belief. It's not simply about belief. What made a Christian a Christian in the early church was belief, right? Belief is important. A belief that Jesus was the Son of God, which is a pretty incredible thing to believe when you say it that way, and that he, was, that he rose from the dead, right, which is also an inc- a pretty incredible thing to believe. It's, it's supernatural and it's not a natural thing to think or believe, and so belief is important. But it was, wasn't just about a simple cognitive assent. Does that make sense? It's not, just, it's not just about believing with my mind that something happened in the same way that I believe that a historical event happened. There's something more that has to be folded into what it means to be a Christian. It went further than just checking the Christian box on the census that we get once every 10 years. And I think it does, to this day, go further. So if we look at the actual words that Jesus gave us in the passage that Cole read for us today, you can turn back or you can look on your bulletin. The first words that Jesus says in this passage in verse 15, it's important. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he repeats himself again at the end of this passage to show us that he's very serious about what he says at the beginning, right? He says, if you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He reiterates himself at the end of this passage, emphasizing for us something important, that, it's, that for Jesus, it's not just about belief. It's not just about the mind. Does this make sense? That for Jesus, there's something a little more going on than simple belief because actions in some real and true sense have to follow after belief in order for belief to be actualized in our lives. In order for belief to be an actual thing that we believe, this is going to be confusing, it's a riddle. In order for belief to be an actual thing that we believe, it has to be acted upon, correct? And Jesus seems to know this. In order to be a Christian, in order to be a person of the way, The first followers of Jesus 
were told and knew that they also needed to follow after Jesus, that they needed to be his disciples. They needed to be his apprentices. They needed to, they needed to be his student. They, have to, they had to pattern their lives after the life of the one they said they believe in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through 20. Uh, Jesus gives these instructions to the 12 disciples, his very first followers. Now, the, the people he actually walked up to them when they were working and said, come follow me, and they left everything and they, they followed him. This is what he says, beginning in verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is important in verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? So they need to believe, they need to be baptized, but teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. A disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a Christian is one who obeys the commandments of Jesus. Or, or put another way, is committed to following his way. Jesus did not just come giving us kind of vague insight into who God is. Jesus came proclaiming that he was God and teaching us a whole new way to live. And in order to be a follower of Jesus, in order to be a disciple of Jesus, one had to, in the early church, not just believe that Jesus was who he said that he was, but you also had to do what Jesus said you should do, or at least be about the business of working towards being a better follower of Jesus's way. Now that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? That you can't simply just believe in something and then be considered a Christian. You can't simply believe cognitively in your brain that Jesus was, was God and that he rose from the dead and then be called a Christian. That sounds harsh on the surface of it. But to be honest with you, it makes sense, right? If we are truly to be Christians, if we are truly to pattern our lives after Jesus then in some real and true sense, we have to be people who take seriously the things that he taught about life. We have to take seriously what Jesus said, his teachings about what it means to live fully, to have life and to have it to the full in the language of Jesus. We have to take what he said seriously if we claim to be his followers. And so that brings us to the mission statement that we have uh, on your bulletin. The way uh, we have put it on there and the way I think of it is that one of the primary things that any church, any gathering of people, any, any conglomeration of Christians is called to do is to pursue the way of Jesus together. To pursue the way of Jesus together. And now notice this phrase does not say pursuing Jesus himself. Now that sounds interesting, but uh, this, this speaks to a, a central belief of mine from the scriptures, that Jesus has already made himself abundantly available to us, that we don't need to pursue Jesus. Jesus has already, uh, made, has already traveled the whole entire distance to us in the incarnation, that Jesus, via his spirit, has already come to us. But what we need to pursue, what we need, what we need to go after is not Jesus, because the gift of God which is the forgiveness of our sins, the, the good news of the gospel, is already available to us. What needs to be pursued is a life that cooperates with the Spirit of God, is a life that cooperates with and in the way of Jesus. What needs to be pursued and what needs to be tamed even is the part of us that wants to go the opposite way of the way of Jesus. Does this make sense? And so pursuing the way of Jesus is this acknowledgement that Christ has already done everything for us. We cannot earn his favor or grace, yet we are still instructed to follow after him, to learn from his way, and to live our lives the way he lived his. 
So sometimes in church, we, uh, we have a phrase that we talk about when we talk about these types of ideas. And we say that that, that word, the thing we say often, is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. To describe what discipleship or followership is. But the truth of the Christian faith is that uh, we're, not, we're not after spiritual growth. We're not, we're not after vague and kind of amorphous spirituality. The goal... The telos, the end of our lives in the Christian faith, is not to be more spiritual. It's to look more like Jesus. Does this make sense? And so in order to be Christian, in order to be a person who's devoted our lives to the way of Jesus, we have to be about the business of looking like Jesus. And this involves explicit obedience to Christ. And seriously attempting to emulate his character, his love, his humility, his patience, his boldness, his wisdom, his willingness to serve. So pursuing the way of Jesus is a non-negotiable. If, if we take the word Christian at face value, for those who claim to be a Christian, who, for those who claim to be followers of Christ, pursuing the way of Jesus is a non-negotiable. Because in order to be a Christian, we must follow in Jesus's ways. We must pursue him. We must uh, apprentice ourselves at his feet. We must follow his ways. We are disciples of Jesus if we claim to be Christian. We, we are people who do what he says we should do. But notice in this passage, because Jesus, Jesus understands something about the human condition, that everyone and this, this is true of us, that every one of us develop. We all change, right? Your cells are constantly regenerating. You're always having different emotional experiences in the world. You're impacted by different relationships. Your body itself is changing. None of us are static beings. None of us stay the same. We are always in flux, right? We are always changing. We are always moving through time. And because of this, it seems that Jesus knows that you cannot simply stay the same. None of us can actually stay the same. As awesome as 33 is right now, I can't stay the same. Parents know this when they have kids like the, kid, the age of our kids where we just want them to kind of stay there all the time for the rest of our lives, so we'll always have a two- and a three-year-old, except for yesterday. Yesterday, I wanted them to be old and to listen to me. But most days, most days, we, we want to stop time, right? But there's some reality in our world that we can't, that we always change and we always develop. And how many of us know that uh, this is natural, right? This is natural. This change or this development is natural, it's all a matter of what direction and what way we are changing. And what comes naturally to us, the, the natural types of changes that happen if we're just kind of on autopilot and we just let life take us where it's going to take us, tend to be changes that aren't particularly good, right? I can illustrate this by saying, um, if you uh, want to not be in shape, what, what do you have to do? Nothing. You, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to train to get out of shape, right? You have to train to get into shape. You don't have to put forth any effort to put on a couple LBs. You have to put an effort to drop a couple, correct? It is, uh, life is this thing that is always moving. And if, if we simply allow ourselves to go with the flow, if we go in whatever natural direction we're going in, it things tend to go in a bad direction, right? Do you have to work at being selfish? Do you have to work at being self-centered? That, that really comes naturally to us in some real and true way. And Jesus seems to know this, right? That there is this natural human self-centeredness, that there's this natural propensity in our world for everything to kind of move from order to disorder, if you want to get into the realm of physics, right, it's the what's second law of thermodynamics, right, the law of entropy, that everything moves from order to disorder, that there's this inherent kind of brokenness in our world. And we all, if left to our own devices, will move towards that, right? 
cosmologists, physicists tell us that the, that the universe is uh, ever expanding and that it'll probably eventually just cool down and that it, it, what, the, what physicists call the big chill and that it'll eventually just become this one, uh, everything in the universe will just become this one kind of low-grade temperature and everything will just die. Not a very positive outlook on life, but one that is built into the fabric of our universe, right? So the reality of this is put very well by this, uh, this Christian author named Dallas Willard, and this is what he says. He says, our lives depend on our direction and the management of them, but the body can acquire a life of its own. Tendencies to behave without regard for our conscious intentions, right? We all know this. Occasionally, we act in ways that we're not conscious of, or at least we wish we were able to control. In our fallen world, this life is possessed by evil, which is a strong statement, so that we do not have to think to do what is wrong, but must think and plan and receive grace if we are to succeed in doing what is right. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright uh, says the same thing. Uh, I believe it's up on the screen for us here. He says, part of the problem about authenticity is that virtues aren't the only thing that are habit-forming. The more someone behaves in a way that is damaging to self or to others, the more natural it will, be, it will both seem and actually be. Spontaneity left to itself can begin uh, by excusing bad behavior and end by congratulating vice. So if we're just left to our natural devices, right, this is the type of thing that happens. But, the, but Wright also says conversely this. He says, virtue is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally, which does not come naturally. And then on the 1,001st, when it really matters, they find that they don't, uh, they do uh, what's required automatically. Virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. Does this make sense? That in some real and true sense, we have to plan, that we have to uh, work to follow in a virtuous direction, is what Wright is saying. But this same thing applies to building the character of Jesus within us. The same idea applies to following the way of Jesus. We have to build in ourselves a second nature. Because our first nature, we learn from the early part of the Bible, is kind of bent. It's kind of skewed in a direction that goes away from virtue and towards vice. That goes away from the plans of God and towards something else. Now, yes, uh, people can be good apart from Jesus. People can do good things. People can ascend moral heights apart from Jesus. But there's this reality at the base of who all of us are. And that reality is that we are all bent in some real and true sense towards not the good of others, but we, what we think is the good of ourselves, but is very often not the, our good either. So if Christians are called to follow the way of Jesus, to be like Christ, as the scripture says, and developing, developing the character of Jesus, developing the type of virtuous life that Jesus taught us about, takes effort, and it takes, development, and it takes the development of new habits or routines or rituals or rhythms in order to help us develop a second nature or the character of Christ. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we develop the character, the nature of Christ in our hearts? How do we pursue the way of Jesus in our lives in such a way as to become more like him? How do we do it? Because we know it does take effort. It does even take a plan. It does take direction or focus. In order to become a better person, it takes work. In order to become an Olympic sprinter, you have to practice, right? And in the same way, developing the virtues of Christ in our hearts takes something. And so um, it really takes three things, and I've broke this down for you in your notes. There's three components needed to transform our character to be like Christ. And this is where it feels unspiritual, this message, at this point. It begins to feel unspiritual, because you're supposed to tell me that God is just going to miraculously put these put these virtues and put this love in my heart and, and transform me into this ever-loving, always-giving, uh, completely humble person. 
That's what, that's what religion is, right? It's this process by which God just gives you all of that. And the reality of human life and the reality of the scriptures is that we need to be about, uh, we need to set up our lives in such a way as to pursue the way of Jesus intentionally, intentionally to do this. So the three components necessary to follow Jesus, to pursue the way of Jesus well, and I have them in your notes, are time, intention, and grace. And I'm going to break, uh, briefly break all three of these down for us today. So the first one is time. We talked a little bit about that, but we do not become like Jesus in an instant. It requires time. Anyone who has ever learned to play a musical instrument, for instance, knows that it requires time in order to learn. We have to practice something over time in order for it to really sink in. We are literally, in, in the life of, uh, in the attempt to follow Jesus, in the pattern of his life, we are literally relearning new ways to live, think, and be. And that takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. And so we need to be cognizant of the fact that as we, as we move through time, as we, as we progress through time, that we need to be intentional about the way in which we live our lives. And that leads us to the second point, and that is intention. Dallas Willard again says this, what, trans- what transforms us is the will to obey Jesus Christ from a life that, uh, that uh, I didn't write that in there right, uh, one that, uh, that I am one with the resurrected reality day to day, learning obedience through inward transformation, following the way of Jesus requires a clear-headed and relentless participation with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Practicing disciplines like solitude and silence, prayer, fasting, worship, study, fellowship, confession, giving, scripture memorization, and many more. You see, we need to be intentional with what we are doing in order to follow the way of Jesus because it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just occur. Yes, Jesus comes to us. And yes, if, if we've had an experience with the, the risen Lord, we are given, in some sense, and we'll talk about this in a moment, new capacities to pursue his way. But it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just occur. You will not just randomly become the type of person that Christ would have you to be. You do not just become a good husband or, or wife randomly. It takes intention and focus, and diligence. It, it needs to be planned out. And for, if you're in this room and you're like me and you're not a planner by nature, this is a very scary thing. My father used to say every day to me when I would get, or not every day, but very often at the, the beginning of a summer when I would get home from college, he would say, what's your plan? And I would go, I don't have one to hang out. I was a lifeguard, so it was mostly like put on enough sunscreen and not get sunburned, and then hope I don't have to go in after a four-year-old. Uh, that was my plan. Uh, and go to Applebee's a lot was usually another part of my plan. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I'm not by nature a planner. And so when, when you say, in order to be the person that, that God would want you to be, you have to be intentional and you have to have a plan. It scares me a little. But the reality is this is what's true of life. You're never going to build a house without a plan. You're never going to, nothing in this world is ever going to get accomplished without a plan. We have city planners, right? We have roads that go in logical directions because somebody sat down and figured it out, right? And the same is true of our lives. Until we spend some time intentionally seeking out, intentionally looking through the scriptures, intentionally uh, setting aside time to pray, to think, to, to be in relationship with other Christians, to read the scriptures, to memorize, to look inward, to see what character traits I have that don't line up with the character of Jesus. Until we take some time to be intentional about those things, we'll never actually transform into the character of Jesus. It simply won't happen. And this is part of the reason why we have men's and women's discipleship, why we actually have uh, this little I don't know if you'd call it a program. I don't like to call things programs. Uh, but we have men's and women's discipleship, and we're going to be ma- beginning to make it available. What men's and women's discipleship is, is six months. If you commit to it, 
what you're doing is you're taking you're you're committing to roughly six months. It's about it'll be about twenty weeks. Um, so this spread out over six months, uh, twenty weeks of intentional time where you walk and study and pray with one or two. Uh, if you're a woman, other women, and if you're a man, other men, because there's this inherent thing that happens. Uh, in our lives, which is, which is that we just kind of get caught up and swept away, and we lose out on the ability to be intentional about our growth, about pursuing the way of Jesus. We lose out on the ability to be intentional about that, and so we've, we've put together men's and women's discipleship groups to try to help us, to try to put some tools in our hands in order to help us pursue the way of Jesus together. Because there's one thing that's true about following in the way of Jesus. It's not a solitary activity. It's a corporate one. It's one that happens with other people because we are the body of Christ, right? We are the church. And so, so really, if you're wondering, what is, how do I be intentional? How do I put forth a plan that will allow me to follow after Jesus well? The reason we put together men's and women's discipleship groups is to help you with that, um, to help you read some really good material, to help you think biblically about, about your life, uh, to help you uh, walk with other people who will be honest with you and who will tell you the truth when you're being a jerk, hopefully. Well, to, to help us, I'm trying to involve in many people, as many people in my life that will tell me when I'm being a jerk. That way, I, I'd be less jerky, I hope is what, the, this is what the hope is, at least. Is jerky a word? Jerky's delicious, but it's not a thing. All right, good. Um, so this is just a plug for men's and women's discipleship. If you're interested in following in the way of Jesus with some other people, and you've, you've never really felt like somebody has given you the tools to do that well, please sign up. Um, the sign-up's not going to automatically put you in a group, but it will uh, help us to start getting organized and moving towards uh, working together, thinking together, praying together to be the people of God. So that's why we have it. So if you're interested in that, if, if you want to be a part of that, please uh, sign up. So that's the second component. The second component needed to be, follow the way of Jesus, to pursue the way of Jesus is intention. And the third component, if you thought I was getting far too technical, is grace. The third component is grace. This, this whole process of pursuing the way of Jesus is not about being religious. It's not about being religious. It's about learning to depend on the grace of God. Notice in our text for today, Jesus, what Jesus says will happen when you set off on this journey of pursuing his way, okay? So if, if you have your Bibles, turn to verses uh, 16 through 18. I think it's gonna be up on the screen. It might not, but you have Bibles under, your, under your, uh, the chairs in front of you, or you can grab your bulletin and look. In verses 16 through 18, he, Jesus essentially says that God will give you help, what he calls an advocate, the spirit or the spirit of truth that will reside in your heart will reside within you Jesus says and the spirit of Christ himself will reside with us to help us on this journey of following him you see this is not about earning god's favor okay so god is not more happy with you when you're further down the road of this process of following him or of discipleship than you were when you first started it the truth of the Christian faith is that you are unimaginably and completely loved right here where you sit today. You cannot do anything to earn it at all. You can't do anything to make, you, to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make God love you less, right? So this is not about kind of ascending the ladder of God's favor, this process of discipleship or pursuing his way. But it is a commandment of Jesus, and it is about living into the fullness of life that Christ has made available to us. Jesus said, and we all know this, I am the way and the truth and the life, that Jesus made this incredibly bold claim. And it's not always the bold claim that people say that he made, but he made this incredibly bold claim that the way that he lived his life and the way that he was making available for other people to live their lives was the best way to live life. Jesus made this claim, right? That to follow me is to have life and life to the full, right? 
he, all, he used other analogies for this, right? He, he said following him or following in his way or coming to him was like taking a cool drink of water, right? He says to the woman at the well. He, said, he uses all these different ways of getting at these ideas that in him is life and that when we live in his, in his pattern of life, we are living into the type of life that God has for all of us, that God has made available to all of us, and that when we're not living in his pattern of life, when we're living kind of below the poverty line of the standard of life that Jesus has made available to us, what we're actually doing is living kind of a substandard, or I would argue even subhuman life. We are all called to the, the high standard of love and a flourishing life that Jesus makes available to us. And when we, and when we don't live to the fullness of that, or at least, we're at least not moving towards that, we're not living uh, we're not progressing towards the type of shalom, the type of fullness, the type of uh, beauty that Christ has made available to us. You see, my choice to not pursue the way of Jesus fully, and we all, we all in our own ways make choices to not do that fully, right? To not, to not allow the love of God to penetrate our hearts fully. My choice to do that is my own choice to live at a standard below which Christ would have me to live, right? To live uh, in a way that is less life full or life affirming than the way that he has made available to us. And so this is, uh, this is just the reality of our lives that Christ has made available to us the grace, the grace, the unmerited favor, the ability even to live life with him pursuing his way that we need to cooperate with the Spirit of God in our lives to become the people that Christ would have us to be. You see, there's this one really all-important truth that we run into sometimes when we're in church, and that is that um, your life will not be transformed by having a couple random spiritual experiences, right? We, we all have spiritual experiences, Many of us in this room have encountered Jesus in an emotional way, right? Um, it happened for me during worship today. I was like a teary wreck. If, you can probably see my mascara running. Every, everybody who's listening online is going, what in the world? Uh, that, that was an emotional encounter with, with the Spirit of God, right? It was a real thing. But that is not going to change me. Over the long haul, it's an experience, and it's good, and it can lead towards change. But the thing that's going to change me is the rote uh, practices in my life, the things I do every day to wean myself off the type of life that I live naturally and to, to begin to live the life of fullness that Christ has made it available to us. In the same way that learning a habit uh, of running a couple miles a day will make me a better runner in the long run. Learning the habits and the rhythms of pursuing the way of Jesus will, in the long run, make you more like Jesus and will be the thing that will ultimately transform your character. Does this make sense? Ultimately, that's what it is. So uh, here's a practical example. So you're probably saying, "How? okay, time, intention, and grace, this is good. Uh, pursuing the way of Jesus, awesome. Uh, where Jesus is clear about the fact that this, we need to be his disciples, we need to follow in his way, great. So how does this happen? How do we actually do it? Uh, and I thought I'd give you a little example from my own life. So uh, I um, had this problem with talking too much. Surprise, surprise, right? Uh, I, I, and it came to a head in college. Uh, I realized that whenever a professor would ask a question, uh, I had this compulsion deep inside of me to to talk, even if I didn't have, even if I didn't know really what I was talking about. Like I had to come out with something, right? Because there was some type of insecurity in my heart. It might be because I have a little bit of a reading disability, and uh, my whole life I've wanted to be seen as smart, even though I had this little issue in the back of my brain. And so my, my mouth worked good, so I talked in order to compensate, right? I talked in order to cover over some of the insecurity that I felt inside of me. And I found myself in college, every time a question or a conversation came up in class, I had to fill that void with my own voice, right? I had to fill in that space with my own voice. And what I realized is that this wasn't good. And I read a book 
by a guy named Henry Nouwen called The Way of the Heart. Uh, he, was a, he was a Catholic um, psychologist, actually. He taught at Notre Dame. But uh, if you ever want a book about some of these things, it's a really good one. It's short. And he says one of the, one of the best ways to deal with, uh, and one of the ways that Christians have historically dealt with this, is to be quiet, to be silent. One of the best ways to tame your tongue is not to just go, oh, man, I, the next time I'm in traffic, I'm not going to yell at that person, right? It's not just to tell yourself. It's to actually practice ahead of time with intention the thing that you want to transform, right? And so what I realized I had to do was to be quiet. I had to teach myself to be quiet. And so for roughly two or three months, I didn't talk in class. I didn't allow myself to talk in class. And you know why it was so difficult? You know why it was difficult? Because of that insecurity that resided in my own heart. Because I had to face it. Talking allowed me not to have to face the insecurity in my heart. Talking allowed me to kind of cover it over and smooth it over and make everybody think I was smart or whatever. But when I, when I remained silent, I had to actually turn inward, right? I actually had to look clearly at, the, at, at myself and deal with the fact that I was talking too much because I was trying to cover up for some deep-seated insecurity. But I had to be intentional about that, and I had to be intentional about that before uh, the, the situation even arose. Otherwise, I would not have been able to transform that thing. So obedience to Christ from the heart and by the Spirit will transform our lives if we if we are intentional about the process. And this is actually amazing, too. It is amazing when you see a group of people, or even one person, but a group is even more powerful, who have set off on this journey together of intentionally following the way of Jesus, of intentionally and uh, through time and with, in cooperation with the Spirit of God, are attempting to transform their lives and their hearts. This is a powerful, powerful witness to the world. It is, a, it is a powerful thing to see when a group of people set off on this journey together. Christians are people who look different, right? We hear this all the time. Christians are people who are supposed to look different. They're supposed to act different. They're supposed to be more full of love and grace, right? But they, the only way Christians get to look different is by pursuing the way of Jesus. And the only way we are able to pursue the way of Jesus in such a way as to transform our heart is with time and intention and cooperation with the Spirit of God that resides within us. So in short, Christians are people who seek to look like Jesus to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to pursue the way of Jesus because we believe that he was God and that his way leads to life because his way leads to life. We want to be a church and I want to be a part of a church where, where when people speak of us, what they say, and I've said this before in another sermon, but what they say is that those people look like Jesus. I think that's the highest compliment a, a Christian can receive. That, that so-and-so, Sally Joe or Johnny Mac or somebody else with two names, looks like Jesus. That that person who claims to be a Christian actually puts on the character of Christ, actually reminds me of what uh, Jesus must have been like. And it's funny that very often those, that's not the thing we associate with being a Christian, is it? We associate it with like belief or with going to church. We don't always associate it with actually being like Christ, which is what we're called to, which is the thing we're called to. And so that is why uh, pursuing the way of Jesus is a part of our mission statement. Because I want to be a church, an authentic community of Jesus followers, a group of people who follow, who pursue the way of Jesus, who live life in the pattern of Jesus, who, who sit at his feet, who apprentice ourselves before Jesus in order to be like him. Because if we're not about the business of doing that, I would argue 
we can't call ourselves Christians. Because Jesus says, if you love me, if you believe in me, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will obey my commandments if the band would come up. So, how do we go about starting this process? How do we go about beginning the process of following Jesus, of pursuing his way, of becoming like him? What's the, what's the start? How does that begin? Maybe you're in this room and you believe in Jesus or you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you know some of this to be true and you've attempted to do it, but you still feel that lack in your own heart. Well, that, well that's all of us. That's me too. I feel that. Maybe you're in this room today and you haven't really set off on the journey of following Jesus and you realize that in your heart and in your mind. That you, you might have vague belief, you might have come to that place, or maybe you don't even really know if you believe yet and that's okay too. How do we start? How do we begin this process? How do we actually go about the business of following the way of Jesus? Jesus comes to all of us via his spirit, right? We know this to be true, that the grace of God is available to everybody. That an encounter with the, 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 the spirit of, of God is available to each and every one of us. We know this to be true. But Jesus said uh, and instituted this very interesting ritual, surprisingly enough. This ritual that we call communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's table but he established it with his disciples. And part of the reason I think he established this practice is because he knew that we needed rituals, we needed rhythms, we needed practices that as we do them over time, help us to realize who God is. Does this make sense? We need to practice things in the same way that I need to practice shooting a basketball in order to learn how to shoot a three-point shot, right? We need to practice following Jesus together. We need to be reminded of who Christ is. We need to follow him well. And, and Jesus was kind enough. He was considerate enough to give us this practice we call communion as a means of uh, putting into action, actually taking in our hands physical emblems, right, physical things to help remind us, to help show us, to help us to hearken back to the reality that Jesus is the center of the story. That his body was broken and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and that he was raised to new life in order that we might be raised to new life with him. Every time we receive this meal together, every time we, we practice uh, to receiving communion together, what we're actually doing is the intention part that time, intention, and grace. Well, it's actually the intention and grace part. Because we are, we are intentionally carrying out a practice that reminds us, that shows us again who God is, that tells us the story of Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection one more time. And it helps us to step into the flow of his grace for us. Does this make sense? It's this beautiful practice, communion. It's this beautiful habit, even, where we are able to realize yet again that Christ has died for us, but he did not stay dead. He rose again to provide us with the life that only he could give. And as the table is open today, and as we reflect uh, on the sacrifice of Jesus, and on we as we reflect on what it means to pursue the way of Jesus, my hope for all of us this church, and this is kind of what this month is, it's this, it's this hope, it's, it's these kind of verbal prayers that I'm giving in these sermons about what I hope, uh, I hope the Spirit of God does in and through us as a community. My hope is that you will become more convinced that Christ is calling you to a life that you can't have on your own you can't access the life that Christ longs for you to receive all by yourself. But in cooperation with his grace, as we yield our hearts to the Spirit of God, and as we step into these practices, as we step into these rhythms of grace, as we step into these uh, in 
intentional um, processes that Christ will transform our hearts and that he will give us and that ultimately the ultimate reward of all of this is not just a great life it's not accolades it's not being known as a good person the ultimate reward of all of this is that you get him that you get Jesus and that is the highest and best gift of all so we are one people and we meet at this common table to reaffirm and remind ourselves again that we stand under Jesus our Lord together the apostle Paul wrote to the church in 2 Corinthians for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes the gifts of God are given for the people of God take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith, by faith and through thanksgiving so table uh, is open to all of us today. Uh, if you're with us, uh, it's important that you know that we practice an open communion, which means you don't need to be a member of this church in order to receive with us. All we ask is that uh, you believe and have uh, at least begun the process of following the way of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian in a nutshell. It's the one practice Jesus gave us. It was a practice that so Jesus could we so we could put on display what it means to be a Christian, to identify with the sacrifice and the resurrection of our Lord. So uh, the table is open. You can take and receive at the table uh, as you as you walk up, or you can take uh, or receive the elements uh, after some time of reflection in your seats. But uh, we will not receive at the same time. So you can.